I I always it's been a text message. He texted me about four months ago. It's been on my mind there, buddy. Anyway. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Dave. Thanks for joining Bob and I for our podcast, Thriving in Dystopia. And even though we always try and be professionals, sometimes we swear. So just know that going in. Uh, yeah, just let me know when you're ready to start recording there, bud. I think I'm uh, ready. You can hit that button, Dave. Wait, did I go with this joke last week? <laughs> no, I don't think you have. Oh, gosh. It's funny because I'm the one sitting here recording, but I'm pretty sure that this is how last week's episode starts. Me, oh, maybe it is. Me pretending to hit the record button. Oh, yeah. You know, that that's and, quite possible. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what a one-trick pony here, guy. <laughs> that's how life is these days. A lot of one-tricks. Yeah. Well, whenever you're ready to hit that record button, I'm ready, Bob. <laughs> Let me just hit the record button, Dave. Okay, I think I'm recording, Dave. <laughs> okay, welcome back to Thriving Dystopia, people. <laughs> <laughs> A little look uh, behind the scenes. Yep. Well, not really. Who knows what that was? That's yeah. just a- a look into the the madman mind of Dave Peachtree. That's right. I think that's your name. Yeah. You know, Bob, it's funny. I... Most of the time, I still think of myself as Dave Maisler. And, you know, um, our, good, our good buddy Ryan Sitzman was asking me about the name change. And I wondered if you wanted to give listeners any insight into uh, the, the roots of the, the peach tree. Uh, the pe- peach treedom? Uh, just kidding. I don't know what that means. Yeah, I... I always, it's been a text message. He texted me about four months ago. It's been on my mind there, buddy. Anyway, um, yeah, I went through this process last year with my wife, Julie Peachtree. We, it's like the most ridiculous process in the world. I'll just give you the lowdown and then I'll give you a little bit of the backstory. So to get your name changed, to get your name changed to a name that is not Someone you're marrying or someone you're divorcing or an old name or a former name or whatever, you have to go through the court system. Uh, and it is quite a process. You have to get background checked by the FBI and the your state's local Bureau of Investigation, so the CBI for us, Colorado. And then you have to... And that took forever. The FBI has up to three months, they say, to give you a background check. And then once you get your fingerprints and all that stuff done, you have to go to the the courts and then they can either say, yeah, we're going to like let you go through this process. And then, but there's like so much mailing back and forth. And like, because of COVID, you don't actually have to meet in front of a judge, but most years you do. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, then they mail you your like approval form and then you have to go put it into the newspaper. And then the newspaper mails you the fact that you like posted in the newspaper that you're going to get your name changed. And then you have to go back to the courts to sh- prove that. And then they mail you back the next piece. So all in all, it took about seven months to do this process. And, you know, you end up with this like court approved document. And then you take that to all the places like the DMV and the social security office. And 
it just takes so long. And so here we are with like, you know, driver's licenses, not quite passports yet. Cause that takes like three months, but you know, starting to, I filed taxes this year under peach tree, but it's like, this process is just brutal. It cost in the end, it costs about like $700 each to do, uh, which is quite a bit of money, of course. And I don't know. I feel like it's been worth it though. I enjoy the fact that Julie and I are sharing a name and we went back and forth a lot about like the way to do it. We wanted to share a family name because so often I mean, it's, it goes back to the roots of patriarchy, right? And trying to like fight those patriotic roots of being like, yeah, I'm the man and the woman takes the man's name. But like the modern thing to do is that the woman keeps her name and then the man, but then the, the, the children's, the, the like kids names are typically the male names, which I don't really understand that either. Mm -hmm. Um, or you could, I mean, you can do it any other way. You could like have one child be one or the other, but then it kind of feels like if you're having a family with all these last names, you know, it doesn't quite feel so unified. And then you could hyphenate, but that only lasts for one generation. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> so we decided like, oh, maybe we'll just pick like a random ancestor that will like find a story or we'll like try and trace the matriarchal line back a little bit. But it's funny, you can go back like to your, you know, your mom's mom's grandma's, you know, go back all the way and then pick that name. But still, it's still like the man's name. You know, it. you go back one more generation and then you're following a male line again, you know? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Mm. So, <laughs> and also, we decided like whatever name we picked, that would be like the story that got told rather than of our ancestry. So like if we decided to go back, you know, I there's someone in on mine and yours family tree named the Hippelsteiners, right? And we could have That's picked right, on mom's side. Yeah, on mom's side. We could have picked Hippelsteiner as our last name. And then that would have been like the name that got like just speaking of Dan Cantrick again, you know, and bumper stickers, uh, flashlights darken everything around them. So like if we picked Hippelsteiner, every other name in our family tree would have been like much darker and the Hippelsteiner would have been much brighter. But by not picking one, it's kind of like left it up to like, oh yeah, we can, any of these stories can still be told or more investigated. And it doesn't mean that like myself or Julia or our kids will be more drawn to like a specific story. Does that make sense? They won't go to the light, whichever story we decided that we wanted, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That the, the name has a gravity to it. Yeah. So yeah, I decided to take Julie's last name or sorry, Julie's nickname, which was peach. And we're like, and then we put the name tree on it because the tree is kind of like, the family tree that like we want to like lighten or bring a flashlight to the whole tree, you know? And so we chose the symbolic tree plus Julie likes plants so much. So, and yeah, I mean, there was a, it's still not perfect, but I don't think there's any perfect way to do it, you know? And I think that by, at least 
changing the way we decided to do our last name and like be like this is like not what many people do and it's a little bit different it kind of shines a light on the system as a whole and that it's not quite it's not quite right you know what i mean yeah that it brings up all these deeper questions and like uh the things that people had been taking for granted around names and such um and i think those are definitely some really interesting questions i wonder if um our good buddy Ryan Sitzman has some answers to those questions. <laughs> yeah. Maybe maybe that's why he wanted to text you. <laughs> right? <laughs> maybe. He needed it. Yeah. So I I at least feel happy that I've been able to talk about the patriarchy a little bit more. Um, and I it could have been a lot of different ways, but with people that are like curious about the last name, you know, if I changed my name to Patrick, they probably wouldn't have asked me. They, I, and I, my answer, my stock response could have been that, you know, I chose my wife's last name and then it, the story might have ended there, you know? That's true. Um, yeah. I think Peachtree brings up more, more questions. Yeah. But I do really appreciate how happy it tends to make people. Like the last name Maisler doesn't tend to. Make, never made people smile, but I can't tell you, Bob, how many times I'll say, what's your name? I'll say Dave, last name, Peachtree, and people are like, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's just like a wild response. Maisler was always such like a burden, you know? It's like, okay, here it is, guy. I'm going to give it down to you. And it's there's a lot of consonants and none of them are in the right place. So... What if um, a couple hundred years from now, there's some new language and no one, no one understands English anymore. And they're like, what is a peach tree? Do you know what, what does even a peach tree mean? Yeah. Oh yeah. There was this ancient fruit that went extinct um, because someone predicted the bananas would go extinct. So (laughs) (laughs) bananas continue to go strong a thousand years from now. Yeah. It's it's a while. I don't know. I'm I appreciate the fact that um like I get to share a name with Julie. That feels like really sweet. And then all have we'll all have the same name as our kids. Um but it the hard part has been like the fact that you and I have a different name. That's I mean my middle name is now Maisler, right? Right. But there is a sense of sadness that like I ha like just that I have a different name than you is like, we're not the the Maisler brothers. I mean, we are, and I don't mind being the Maisler brothers, you know, but it is just a little funny. It just feels that part is the only hard part of this whole process. Um, but I also feel like, yeah, we are so connected that it, it doesn't feel that hard to me, you know, Dave Maisler Peachtree. Yeah. I think there's still that that facet in there and um that you started this whole off thing off at the podcast today saying that you still feel like a a Maisler. Yeah, right. I still when I'm, you know, it's funny how much self-talk we do, like how often I end up calling myself Dave Maisler in my head or whatever. <laughs> it's always like, what? Why am I why do I always just talk to myself as Dave Maisler? Um, but we do it all the time. I'm sure you do it too. 
I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, we all talk to ourselves in these ways and, and that is interesting and that you do that shines a light on how much, cause we don't really notice how much we're talking to ourselves unless something comes up like this. Yeah. I told the kids if they want to call me Mr. Maisler, they could, and they all got so offended by that. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. They're just, they've, they're super into Peachtree. Yeah. I decided to start the year off as uh, Mr. Peachtree because I knew that it was going to take some time in the middle of the year and it ended up taking way longer. Um, it, there was definitely confusion because all my emails and stuff were under Maisler, you know? That's and, right. But it's funny how the kids just like really glommed on to Peachtree and now they think it's like the best thing ever. But also the kids from last year that I knew, like kids that knew me as Mr. M or Mr. Maisler, like they all switched to Peachtree, which kind of feels funny, you know? It's it's that Peachtree, it's just an attractive name too, an English speaker, I think. Yeah, I think so, right? It's like a fun one. And it's like, what was that name anyways? Oh, who cares? Let's just call him Peach. Anyway, Bob, yeah, that was that was good. We weren't really going to talk about that. But I am no, curious how you because of our our listeners. Yeah, because of the curiosities. The curiosities. It was on my list of things to talk about at some point. Oh yeah, it was, wasn't it? Yeah, but I'm, it doesn't really matter. I'm glad we got a chance to. Did you have a good week, Bobo? I had a pretty good week. It was uh, maybe a little up and down. Um, I learned the phrase "pandemic fine," which is. Um, defined as you're not sick and you still have a job, but um, life is um, boring or, you know, sort of lacks the flavor that it once had. Pandemic fine. Hmm. And Funny. Um, I feel like not, not a, a lot of that, but I do feel that. And I'm looking at the like year anniversary of when we went on shelter in place coming up in March. And that feels interesting. Um, just to be thinking about being in a, this pandemic for a year almost. And, um, I think it's taken a toll on my students. I, I noticed they have like, Well, I would say maybe like in one of my classes, there's just this heightened level of anxiety about doing well on this project. It's like a a class where students have to do their own research. And I taught it last year. And I think they would just really benefit from more in time, like casual interactions with each other and with myself and the TA. Mm. So, um, yeah sort of navigating student anxiety this week was was definitely on my plate um yep and but here i am dave on sunday and how about yourself how was your week overall yeah it was pretty up and down and i feel like that's how it goes the these months of january and february kind of like just bum us out you know and 
I think that's why spring is so amazing. And I'm already like picturing what March is going to be like. Like, I'm just like, because tomorrow I believe starts February. And I'm just like, okay, we have four weeks of this. And it's just full on. It's just like weekends and teaching and full on for four weeks. But then March comes and it's going to be this like explosion of like happiness. And I'm really looking to that. And I know that your anniversary is coming up in February. And I'm like, yeah, I kind of wish I had something to look forward to in February. Uh, Valentine's Day is fine, but it's not my favorite holiday. It kind of feels a little cor- corporate, corporatized or whatever, especially being an elementary school teacher. You just feel like, are you kidding me? Like, this is like, you get it, kids just get so hyped for candy. They don't. There's like no substance to the holiday. There's no like oomph, you know? It's a kid holiday to like pedal candy, I feel. And anyway, my real like highlight this week was that I got a Julie bought me a book called Everybody Has a Podcast Except for You. And it's <laughs> written by some of my three favorite podcasters, the McElroy brothers. Justin, Travis, and Griffin, and I've been listening to their show, My Brother, My Brother, and Me, forever. And yeah, I definitely don't really recommend it. I mean, it's great, but it's like, it's it's whatever. There's like nothing. You don't have to listen to it. It's just like a bunch of um, three brothers just like goofing around, but they have a sweetheart, and it it's like, they're good people. And I like the fact that I get to listen to them and just like picture just goofing around with my buddies and brother you know uh anyway i've been enjoying the show a lot because i sometimes think about this podcast and like what it means not often these days to be honest i don't have much time to like put mm, the energy into thinking about what this podcast means to me but i do love when i get to like be reflective on it and like do i want it to do more than it's doing or less or do i want driving to go a certain direction or not so it's been it's been nice and to like be able to reflect on that and i think the big thing is like one of the big takeaways that i got from the book was that they were like oh yeah you should definitely like have a podcast that's about something like make it directed towards like if you're really into quilting make a quilting podcast if you're really into like whatever it is, if a niche that needs to be filled, like find that niche, you know, because there's not many podcasts that can survive out there when it's just, or you're like, you're not going to be a super successful podcast when you're just like sitting around talking with your brother. I'm like, Oh, that's kind of funny. Cause like define success. Right. Right. Um, I think that our model is kind of just like you and I connecting, which is a model that worked 10 years ago, but maybe like maybe Thriving in dystopia will never be a huge success, but I don't think that matters to me because I wouldn't want to change our formula. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I'm going to listen to that show at some point. I feel like there's probably, maybe they started in a similar place as us. And I'm curious about the, the ideas that they have. Perfect. Yeah. Anyway, it's always good. And I just want to appreciate having some time to chat with you. I know that like 
sometimes we really want to just like dive into it. And sometimes it's really good for us to sit back and just like be with each other. And today I'm feeling, I was feeling a lot of desire to not just like dive into the topic and really open it up, but just like talk with you and connect. So it feels good to have a little connection time before the show, you know? Nice. Yeah. yeah so hit that record button whenever really you're important. ready. Sorry. Hit that record button, Bob. We're, I'm ready to start. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and we're recording, Dave. <laughs> All right. Welcome back. Uh, no, just kidding. Anyway, Bob, I think we should talk a little bit about last week's show. And I, I'm just going to say that last week felt really good to just like chat about confrontation and like share some stories and just think about why avoidance can be like problematic at times or why we go to it. And I was, yeah, we both really loved last week's show and who, who knows if it will speak to other people, but I know that you and I both felt like really good coming after that show, coming off that show. And I feel like this week we kind of wanted to flip the script a little bit, flip the script. Um, and just talk about why sometimes avoidance can be like a really healthy or important like emotion or or like action to take, you know? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Like um the way I view t- today's episode is yeah, last week we were talking about like being courageous and confronting something and not avoiding it. And today we're going the other way into like what, like when do we avoid things and when does it make sense to avoid things? Um, and like, what is the experience of avoidance like um, as well is one thing that I want to talk to talk about. So yeah. Um, I don't know exactly where to start with this. Um, just maybe just talking about, um, I, I think I want to start with you, Dave, cause I have this like, idea but it goes a little bit like deeper and i think it needs to play off something so i was wondering if you could talk about um that idea that you've had around like uh, a healthy avoidance um of you know really anything um and when you think about that what does what does the avoidance mean does it mean like um, putting it to the side and coming back to her, or what, what do, what do you think about when you're like thinking about healthy avoidance? Yeah, I guess I'm going to just say that three things are coming to mind for me. And the first is that sometimes our emotions can be so hyped up and heightened and just like to the nth degree that it can bring about like unhealthy conflict and we can get to this point where it's like, Oh, if we just took a little time to reflect before we went into like conflict or like resolution or like confronting, then that can be really helpful. And I know, I know you all know what I'm talking about when I say that. And I'm not, I'm not really thinking of any particular thing or moment, but I see it a lot in kids when 
they feel things so strong. And then if I can like distract them for a little bit, then they're able to like come, come back in a much healthier way. And I feel like we as adults don't do that very well. We don't know that we need to like step away from the, the issue in order to like seek resolution in order to like come together. So that's the first thing that I wanted to like bring up and I'm, I'll give you a chance to respond at the very end. But the second one that feels right to me is sometimes we look at procrastination and we feel that when we procrastinate, it's like just like really bad. But I feel like sometimes procrastination and avoiding like the work that we need to do can bring this moment of like epiphany. It's like, I've just been avoiding this work and I've been avoiding it. And like that stress and that like uh, sort of the impending doom that we all feel during procrastination can definitely bring a lot of fire to us. And I don't know, we can talk, we were thinking about even talking about procrastination in a full episode at one point. So I, I think I'll just leave it there. But I think that that fire can be really important to us. and. I think that some people thrive off that fire and I think that that's okay to feel that. I don't I don't want to qualify that as like people that procrastinate are inevitably doomed in the world, but sometimes they just need a little more fire to like get them motivated. And the final one uh or the final like avoidance thing that I was thinking about today is Oh man, I lost it. Lost my train, Bob. Got derailed. <laughs> derailed. Well, maybe I'll let you respond to those, and then I'll, uh, I know I have a third one, but yeah, I'll, I'll let you. It will come to you if yep. um, I just start talking for a little bit. Yeah, the first one I've heard with the the phrase like "learn to respond, not react," and react is like just doing it in the moment reacting to a an event um and a response is a taking a step back and you know practicing maybe mindfulness or breathing or you know managing emotions or you know something before going back to the 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 event or the conflict. So that, that does seem like very valuable as well. And yeah, I definitely agree with you. Like in terms of procrastination, like there's just times where I can't do work. Um, it's just not, not bearing, you know, it just, there's no motivation. I need to wait for the motivation to come. And so that makes sense to me. Have you come up with a third one, Dave? I did, Bob. Yeah. The third one is just kind of this idea of solitude is what's coming up for me. And the idea of avoiding kind of the world. And we talked about this a lot during like the isolation time and solitude versus loneliness. But I think there's this like avoidance that can bring about like if you push everything away, you can like you'll be surprised at what pops up. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. 
we can avoid things in order to like focus on other things, like focus on something new. And we might even not realize what we're, what we're trying to focus on. And this is like the idea of the retreat and you just are never going to know what's going to pop up or you can really be very intentional and be like, I really want to like go on like a five day med- like silent retreat to focus on my relationship with my boss or whatever, you know, or my relationship with my partner. But I feel like I hope no one's going on a retreat to try and fix their boss's, their and their boss's relationship. But <laughs> classic retreat, classic retreat. Gotta go think about the boss. Uh, <laughs> no, but I think that the, like, Either way, if you avoid, like, if you push everything else, like this idea of like the cell phone or the technology or drugs or vices or whatever it happens to be, when you push those away and you avoid them, then what will pop up is going to be something important, usually, and something that you didn't even know was there. And I like that idea. So those are the three, like, how procrastination can really be okay, how solitude. And avoiding like the world can bring about like new perspectives and then how of like pushing away our emotions or like taking a step back from our emotions can bring healing. So yeah, that's kind of, kind of every point that I wanted to make today. So anyways, I just want to go to the social media court. No, just kidding, Bob. Nice, Dave. Wrap it up. Put, put a bow on it. Yeah. Yeah. But. I, I think when I'm listening to you, I mean, I agree with all that. And I start thinking about like, what is the line from like taking a step back from or, you know, s- steering clear of like, and then avoiding? Because everything you talked about, I would probably not put in the category of avoiding. I would. The way I'm understanding avoiding is like it's maybe qualitatively, um, well, maybe it's just a matter of degree more than everything you're talking about, but it, then it becomes something different. Um, like it, like it might be like just a little bit too much staying away from or taking too, too far a step back from, then it becomes avoiding. And so avoiding does become, for lack of a better image, like the noid, you know, like it becomes this like thing that is taunting and harassing in this weird way. Um, Uh and because everything you're talking about is, is like, I very much agree with, I would, I would just say like, it's not avoiding, um, because it's just simply taking a step back, a healthy step back or steering clear from people. Yeah, I guess, you know, it's just for me, just avoiding is a bit heavier, a bit more of it. And then it, it doesn't necessarily become problematic, but it, it just really can't. It becomes like very, you're vulnerable in, in like burying a problem and making it a deeper problem. Um, so I guess I'll, um, lead into my other part with that. And it is like that the question of like avoiding, I'm not, I would say like, it's not necessarily actually, it's not healthy avoiding that I'm talking about here, but it is like maybe protective avoiding, um, 
or it seems protective. It's like when the thing, the stimulus is too powerful, it brings up like too strong of emotions that just feel untenable or like you cannot deal with them. Um, Similar or like an example would be like trauma, you know, and like it, I think people generally need to eventually deal with trauma, but it is like so strong. It's like, when, when will people deal with it? Because they have their lives and, um, you know, it's, it's kind of like protective to not deal with it. Um, cause you open it up and it can be, it, it can at least feel like Pan- Pandora's box. Um, and I have like a mini example that's, uh, you know, kind of laughable in the overall scope of things, but it, I think it follows those same patterns and it just, uh, is on my mind. And so it's a, a content warning, Dave, I'm going to Uh-oh. talk about the CU basketball game of yesterday. Oh, good. Nice. <laughs> um, and what had happened was they, Dave and I enjoy the buffs, buffs basketball. Uh, I think we've talked maybe about Chauncey Billups on the show before. Uh, actually we did. We briefly talked about it last week. Um, <laughs> Just and, about week. Buffs are having a good season. They have like this kind of historic point guard um, in his last year. And they were winning at home. They haven't, they have not lost at home and they're playing like a mediocre team and they were up by 17 points. And then like, I looked away, I was like, oh yeah, this game's over. Um, It's in the second half. And then all of a sudden it's tied. And then all of a sudden they lose it. Um, and it was so so stunning and so quick and like such a, it is a pretty bad loss overall, you know, um, it could hurt their chances. Um, and I just like, I don't want to deal with this. Like, this is, this is just like, you know, I'm not dealing with this. I don't want to like, I don't want to watch any of the highlights. I don't know. I don't want to understand like why it went this way, you know, what ha- would happen. I just like, I just want to uh, like live, like I was, a, I was having a good day yesterday. So I was just like, I'm just going to try to have a good day. And. So I compartmentalized and, you know, it's just like, yeah, maybe I'll look at this box score some other time. Um, so I think that's like, you know, I'm not definitely not comparing that to like these bigger issues, but it did bring up these like strong emotions in me. And I just like said, no, I, no, I'm not going to do this today. And I think I have to eventually go back to those emotions if I want to like continue to be a fan and watch games this season. Um, so, but, uh, and I, I don't exactly know when I want to do that. Um, but it's, it's like, yeah, if I deal with it, I'll probably get sadder and then like, yeah, I don't want to do that. So mm-hmm. I think that is like just a metaphor for like bigger, th- you know, when people have actual real things going on, I can understand not wanting to, to go into that. So, Yep. I don't know. I, I don't have any answers on all that. Just wanted to like tell that experience and cause it was on my mind. Yeah. I, li- I like that, Bob. I want to go way back and say, I agree that maybe what I was getting after wasn't necessarily avoidance. I think procrastination more than anything is sort of in the lines of avoidance more so than the other two, more so than like intentionality of solitude and taking a step back from emotions. I do think that there is this sense, and I know you like real trauma runs really deep, you know, and the idea of, of 
like avoidance as like a coping mechanism for us to like interact with the world after experiencing trauma is like a pretty important like tool, uh, like a coping tool for us to use because yeah, I mean, that is at, at its core, it's like a pretty profound thing. And yeah, the game yesterday was a bit of a heartbreak. I feel like I turned it on and when I turned it on, we immediately lost. And I was like, man, I really shouldn't have tuned in. It was the first like 10 minutes of bat or five minutes of basketball I've tuned into all year. And it was like the worst run of all time. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think Bob, I like the way you think. And I feel, I feel a, a big sense of privilege in the fact that I get to get you thinking on different subjects every week. And I hope that, the listeners think that too, because really there's some good stuff here and some interesting ideas. I don't know if we got anywhere so far this week, but I'm excited to keep going down this path and see as we like sort of turn our lens towards like racism and in grouping and out grouping and other ideas of avoidance and like how I feel like there's a lot of social psychology here, which is, you know, what your PhD is in. And I feel like we can take that lens of like social justice to it. And it's going to be, I'm curious to see where we go because I feel like right now I didn't really expect this, but I'm like pretty anti avoidance after two episodes. (laughs) Yeah. At least the way that I was defining it, right. In this more like heavier way that can turn it, Turn into the Noid. Yeah, the Noid, right. Anti-Noid. I, d- I didn't really expect that. I, And it's interesting because I would say that I tend to avoid conflict. I do not, like, I, like, for me on a personal level, I tend to go towards avoidance more often than not. I have, I avoid a lot of emotions. I avoid a lot of like hard conversations and I'm like, Oh man, that sucks. So I was hoping to really be like, ah, oh, yeah, I'm doing pretty good. But right now I'm feeling like I'm not doing that great. Well, I think, yeah, you bring up some interesting points here and I think we're developing like a sort of working model. Um, like the ideas of, you know, first of all, like maybe avoidance comes from these things that you were talking about that are really good, like taking a step back and, um, or like taking some space. Those like, I think actually avoidance probably starts from there, but those things on their own are good. Um, and, and even, you know, with these bigger things that we're avoiding, um, we're using those same devices, but just more so and and then we are avoiding it but sometimes that's sort of strategic in order to protect ourselves and but one thing that i think would be good for us to think about is like where is that line you know what where is the line between and it's different for every single person and it's different on every so it's very contextual um but i think like paying more attention to like when does taking a step back turn into avoidance that that might be 
a thing for us to continue with in further episodes. And um, yeah, I'd love to have some, some audience feedback on, on this, you know, it just, who knows, who knows if this is just me and Dave or if this is shared more widely. Um, yeah. So if folks can get in touch with us and yeah, thinking about also having some folks on this season would be really great. Yeah, we'll get there. We've uh, both been so busy. It's been hard to book any guests. That's right. Yep. But we'll hopefully we'll get some, some ideas percolating, especially as we delve a little bit deeper and think about who, who would fit really well. I do feel like one thing I was thinking about is this idea of courage. And sometimes courage is like, that's like our dad's mantra. Yeah. And he like would always say coraggio, like, and it never really spoke to me. And until I got a little bit older, till I got into my thirties, even after he like passed away or like when he passed away is when I felt like courage was so necessary. But I think sometimes courage is, can be seen as this idea of knowing when to like, confront and knowing when to avoid and knowing knowing that is like the courageous act a lot of times because it's not always right to confront and it's not always right to avoid so i feel like the courage comes in take knowing when you have to take those the steps Mm -hmm. yeah the wisdom the wisdom of courage yeah wow there you go tagline it put it in the title bump good (laughs) there it is thank you dave Well, let's keep it going and maybe it's time to move on to the dessert. How do you feel, Dave? Sounds good, Bam. Sing us in. Karl Marx in the sky. George Orwell can fly twice as high. It's not done. N.K. Jameson. It's dystopia rainbow. <laughs> nice, Babo. <laughs> uh, what do you got for us this week, Dave? Well... I got an oldie and a goodie and one we've not talked about. And I don't know if you've even read it. So just to let you know, I'm going to spoil the end. And I I don't care. I just don't care. (laughs) Um, So if you don't want a a plot summary or an ending of this fine, fine novel, then you should just um, turn us off and we'll see you next week. But if you want to... If you took 10th grade um, IB literature, then you certainly read the book Fahrenheit 451. And <laughs> I, nice, yeah. Have you read it, Bob? It, you know what? I took 10th grade IB English, but they did not assign it to us. So no, yeah. I have never read it, actually. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, maybe it was uh, for the AP kids. So that's probably why I read it and you didn't. Uh, yeah. And, you know, part of the fame of this book is that it was a, like, it's such a, like, Julie often talks about how, like, in Hollywood, like, all the movies that, like, get Oscar nominations are, like, movies about Hollywood making movies. And it's just, like, a bunch of, like, Hollywood people, like, just, like loving on each other in the back room. It's like, oh yeah, the Oscar goes to, you know, once upon a time in Hollywood. It's like, yeah, okay, we get it, people. We like movies about movies. 
um, I feel like this book kind of does that a little bit, you know? It's like, it's a book about burning books. And it was a book that got censored. And then because it was a book that was like on the ban list for so many years, it was a, like, let's, or like on, in, for so many different countries, it's been on like different ban lists. You know, it's like one, it's pretty infamous for being banned in different countries. And it's a book about like burning books, you know? Like the whole point of it is it starts out with some guy, I don't know his name. I think his name is Guy actually. So yeah, it is some guy. Guy Montag is his name. And he is like a firefighter. And it's like, oh yeah. And firefighters, what they do is when they find like literature, they go and they burn the literature and they have to burn it at like 451 degrees or something. Um, so which is like whatever who cares um i mean that's like the the like gimmick right but i think like in the end which is and maybe i'm maybe i'm misremembering this but it like goes back to the giver and it also there's like other books that do this but in the end what like the fight guy montag what he like ends up doing is he realizes that there's people out there that have memorized whole books and They've like they've read these books and they've reread them and they've read it so many times that they become like they become the book. So you like can't burn it. You, it's like this idea of like holding the memory in your brain, it, much in the same way as the giver, right? That like we as like a people, the reason that we will survive is like you can burn our books, you can take our memories, but like what we have is we have this like we have each other. You know, and we have like the Vox Populi, the voice of the people. And we have like, we will, no matter what you do, you can impress us to the nth degree, but we are like humanity and we will shine through and like we will fight back eventually. And I feel like that's what a lot of these like dystopian novels, like written in the like 50s, 60s, 70s, they kind of do. It's like, it shows this like totalitarian state, which is of course based on like what people saw communism and um, authoritarianism of like not the Nazi party of Germany. Like this big fear was like, they're trying to assimilate us and make us into robots. Right. And we come out of it because like, you know what, you can't suppress the human, the human project. You can't suppress us because eventually we will, we will find a way to resist. And I kind of like that idea um, because I feel like there's been a lot of, you know, corollaries to like where we are now in the U S with totalitarianism and uh, authoritarianism. I mean, and like, yeah, I feel like there has been a lot of power in the people and I love that. So that's, that's Fahrenheit 451, Bob. That's great. Yeah, I've never read it. I wish I could comment, but I am interested about that idea. The, you know, some people become the books. That's really interesting. And then that optimism of like resistance and that seems really, really powerful too. Yeah. yeah. And I'm sure that Montag become, he becomes a book. I can't remember what book he memorizes at the end, but that's like, and of course, I haven't read it since 10th grade. So, um, 
I don't remember. I think he becomes like a book of the Bible, which is kind of interesting as well. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. So we'll leave it there, Bob. Nice, Dave. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's been real, Dave. I enjoyed this again. Always love connecting with you, Mr. Peachtree. Thanks, and, oh, yeah, our coordinates. I think it's my turn this week. Why don't we start with our email, DavePeachtree at gmail.com. Twitter is bmaze, B-M-A-Z-E 19. And Instagram, thriving underscore in underscore dystopia. And then we got our great website, thanks to the mixer, thrivingindystopia.com. Those are the ways you can get at us. Love it, Bob. Well, thanks for another great week. Love you, Bob. Love you too, Dave. Take care out there. Just let me know when you're ready to start recording, okay? And start it. What's up, Thriving Crew? Bob and Dave want to take a second to thank you for lending them your ears. They also want to thank the artists for making everything a little more beautiful. The intro song is In Heaven by Drake Stafford. Our audio is edited by the consummate and dexterous Nadir Chayetch. Web design by Chris the Mixer Sawyer. And of course, visual art is by the prolific and enigmatic Joe Shine. And finally, our new outro song is Bashful by Ketza. See you next week.